Welcome to Workshop Therapy. I'm Andrew, and today I'm joined by the, let's see if I can do this the way that I had planned, the sensational, salubrious, and somewhat, uh, dang it, no, I lost it, social Kate from Blackburn Concepts. Maybe I should redo that, but I think we'll just call her good. You can do it. So, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm here for my therapy session. Yep. <laughs> I'll see if I can't uh, mess you up just a little bit. All right, sounds good. So you said you're uh, you're busy this week, eh? doing lots of podcasting stuff because you're all famous. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm famous, but yes, I have been doing lots of podcasts. We uh, we're trying to get a couple episodes ahead on ours. Do you guys do you run ahead or do you kind of? No, but uh, with, with vacations during the summer. Well, that's right. Yeah, was the was the last one you? I haven't listened to one with Jeremy Spees yet. The the one before that wasn't uh, Tony talking about doing a bike trip somewhere or something like that. Yeah, he's doing a bike trip next weekend. And then he's gone away after that. So, all right, yeah. So I I would assume that if you're listening to me and this particular podcast, you probably know that Keith of Blackthorn Concepts has the Working Hands podcast with Tony of Woodland Eye. Yes, I wanted to have Keith on as my very first guest in this particular podcast, unless I record something else and release that first, which I probably won't do, um, because Keith is a very busy man. As you could tell, because he's got two podcasts going, and and you work in New York, right? Is it predominantly where you work? Yeah, I work pretty much in the tri-state area to me, so New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. But we'll go all over. But uh, I do in the field like two to three days a week, and office either two to three days a week. And my office <laughs> is at my house, so. Oh, so the commute's short. Yeah, yeah. If I'm in the office, the commute's real short. That's nice. So that's one of the things that kind of stresses me out about my job is the, uh, you know, I, I don't have to commute very far. Like I drive 15, 20 minutes to get to work, but right. you know, that's 40 minutes every day that are gone. And if I come home for lunch, it's an hour and 20 minutes that's gone out of my life. Right. But such is yeah. the life here and here you are like, I can't even get to the freaking grocery store in 20 minutes. No, it takes longer than 20 minutes to get to the grocery store. Sometimes when I'm talking to people from, from like New York or Los Angeles, something like that, I saw some friends in Los Angeles from when I lived there. Like, oh yeah, I had an hour and a half, two hours of commuting time. It's like, I could drive to a completely different city in that same amount of time. Like I could drive 120 miles in the same amount of time that some people commute for like 10 miles. Yeah, Wednesday I went into the city and I think it took me two hours and 48 minutes to go 40 miles. Gross. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, I had a friend that uh, he, he worked in, in banking when I lived in Los Angeles. Uh, are you familiar with the L.A. area at all? No, just what I see in TV. So he lived in Diamond Bar, which is like 20 miles from downtown Los Angeles. Okay. And so he, he would he would wake up at 5.30 in the morning so he could be on the road by 6, so he could be at work by 9. And he did that every single day. Yeah. So like I'd freaking shoot myself in the face if I was doing that. <laughs> Yeah, if I have to be in the city by 9, I pretty much have to leave my house around 5, 5.30. Yeah. So why don't you move to somewhere nice, like Montana? Well, the work is here. You know, the work is here. The majority of my work is here. So that's where all oh, the sites are. They're doing the same work somewhere else, though, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. But uh, the volume is here. So when you go out into the more rural areas, they need less sites than they do where I'm at. So we have thousands of sites in the city 
whereas Montana may have thousands of sites in Montana, you know. So it's a lot faster to build. There's a lot less work out that way. I can see that. So in addition to working, how how many hours a week do you work? Do you work like, are you like 40 hours a week or are you 40 hours until the work's done? (laughs) I am until the work is done. Uh, So what's your your average work week look like? uh, Anywhere from 60 to 80 hours. Uh, Right now, it's kind of light. Like the past two weeks have been kind of light, so it's been about 50 hours, and I I, I don't know what to do with all my time. (laughs) So, Well, you're making a platypus toolbox. I am making a platypus toolbox, yes. Yes. Uh, I'm actually building two at the same time, so. All right. Yeah. Have you have you revealed yet what you're what you're making? Because it does kind of give me some toolbox vibes at this point. Yeah, I I um I have a Gerstner style. Uh, I have an actual Gerstner toolbox. So uh, there's things I like about it and don't like about it. So mm-hmm. I like redesigned it into what I think is a better, like more usable Gerstner toolbox. Yeah, and it may not be for most people, but. Like the top area on a toolbox, like any of the like mechanist tool chest or machinist tool chest, they always have that one top that opens. Yeah. And it it either never gets opened because there's something on top of it, or it's locked in the open position because there's so much stuff in it. Yeah, because there's so much stuff in it. So I decided to just eliminate that altogether. So it'll be a Gershner style toolbox without that top part. Yeah. Um, and then it's made out of all walnut and and brass and. Yeah, and then you're, you, so you're making two, so one for you and one for the uh, the uh, maker champ maker swap thing. Yeah, essentially, the one for me is not really for me, but yeah, it's for my wife. Oh, for her, she's Children. she seems like she's really getting into the jewelry stuff, eh? Yeah, that's um, I have that same style of toolbox for my wife's jewelry. She doesn't yeah. make any, but she just has it all in there. I bought it for her years ago. It's like, this is the ultimate, like, just the little thin drawers, all that. This is the perfect thing for dumping all this stuff in. Yeah, I figured it won't be. top is open. I figured this one won't be for her toolbox, but just for a jewelry box for her. Not necessarily anything to do with what she's making, so. So how much time does, so so in addition to your work, so you're working like 80 hours a week, 50 hours a week, somewhere in that range? Yeah. And then you're, you're doing the podcast, how many hours a week do you do that? I'd say the podcast takes up about maybe four hours of my work week. Or a week. That's not too bad. Yeah. Except so, for the days where you're, where the weeks where you're doing two episodes and then you're. Yeah, then it gets to be crazy. But it'll only be half that time. So, so like the recording portion, like two and a half hours to record an episode. You don't know if we have a guest, then there's talking before, talking after. So it kind of eats up about two and a half hours per episode. Um, and then about an hour and a half to edit each episode and get the post ready and, and, Put it on the hosting and all that's about an hour and a half for me now. The weeks now, like we're recording multiple episodes per week for the next couple of weeks, but I don't have to edit multiple episodes each week. Like I can edit those later. So yeah, when you have time, I can move my time around with with the editing. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So then, let's see what else are you doing. So the make a cam maker swap type of stuff. How much? Because you 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 basically organize all of that, right? Yeah. But there's not much to do on that other than uh, promote it on social media, so post here and there. Nothing. So once you, but once once you get there, then you'll have to. Yeah, during. Yeah, yeah. At camp, it's crazy. That's a lot of time. But yeah. Then I have a bunch of other personal things I do, you know. So I'm, yeah, I'm I just walk your dog a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. 
every day he begs to go out around anywhere between five and seven he wants to go and he won't leave me alone until we go so then you do so that's the the story of dr watson that's your his instagram isn't it yes yeah he doesn't post too often though every once in a while i'll see him pop up yeah it's probably it's probably the uh the thumb thing he doesn't have thumbs so he doesn't do a very good job of uh <laughs> yeah, he's more. smart but he doesn't have the dexterity that's why it takes him so long so you're a busy man how much time do you get in the shop then i get um i try and do at least at least four hours a week um generally it's i may get 15 minutes out throughout the week maybe an hour here and there but i generally set aside some time on a saturday to get out there or a sunday but with house chores it's crazy, like mowing the lawn, taking care of the pool and the house, cleaning the house, all that stuff. There's not much time out there, so. See, that's why you need to have kids, right? Because you have kids and then they do all that work. And then you just have to spend six times as much time to uh, to fix the work and to get them to actually out and do the work. Makes life so much easier. Yeah, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. So I'm okay without kids. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I, I always tell people it's the best mistake that I ever made. So I love my kids and I wouldn't get rid of them, but sometimes I definitely think they're a mistake. So obviously this is the the workshop therapy podcast, so we need to talk about some mental health stuff. Right? Yeah, let's do it. I know that you really enjoy your job, right? Like it's the, it, if you if you got a million dollars right now, you would still have to work because you live in New Jersey and it would cost you that much to live anyway. But uh, if you had $2 million, you'd probably still do your job because you love it so much, right? Absolutely not. I would leave if... It, I would leave my job if somebody gave me 10K right now. Oh, really? You love it that much, eh? Oh, it is the worst. And it's not, it's not, it's not my company. Like, uh, my bosses are cool. Like, it's just the industry that I'm here. Is, uh, everything's due yesterday. Everything's your fault. Um, and it's just, there's no need for it. Like, it's a hurry up and wait type situation. I need this now. Um, and then you wait forever. They hardly ever pay on time like anyone. You know what it's like in your field. Nobody pays on time. So it's just a very stressful, frustrating, crazy, it's not worth me. Like, I'd rather work at Home Depot. Like, if I didn't have a mortgage, I would rather just work at Home Depot and tell people, oh, it's over there in aisle four. And, and just... I had, a, I had a similar come to Jesus moment about work, actually. I guess you haven't come to Jesus yet. But that's... Um, so I used to work in the oil field before I went back to university. And, uh, I, I remember distinctly the time when I thought that I'm, I'm going to go back to school and get rid of this crap. I had been awake for 36 hours. I think at that point it was February 20th, I think middle of February, it was minus 40 and there was a 40 kilometer an hour wind. And it was like one o'clock in the morning and I'm up on top of this, this rig up on what's called the crown right up on top right yeah and i'm installing this crap and and I, I i finished my hands were cold and i stood up i was like this sucks i'm quitting when i get when when breakup comes i'm done and uh, i quit and went back to school and it, it was it was largely because of that like there was days when i worked for two hours but then there was days when i worked for 40 hours straight yeah and uh and it just wasn't wasn't worth it for me and 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 the same same thing you know like you'd have uh i'd have people call me and and hey your thing isn't working it's like well did you did you plug it in 
well, that's not my problem. You get out here and fix this. This is your problem. So then I drive three hours and, and get out to the rig and it literally, I have to plug it in and then it's working, right? Or, or some friggin' rig pig would knock the antenna down or, you know, things that if you looked out your freaking window, you could see the problem and fix it yourself. Yeah. But not my problem, not my job. Yeah. It was so frustrating. So you're getting paid to do this. Yeah, I, I am getting paid to do this. But I'm also getting paid to do legitimate things elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much my job. Yeah. Same. That's fun. So how, how does how does getting into the shop help with that? Does that help any? Or is it uh yeah, I guess part of my problem is I've been uh home based worker for just over ten years. Like my office has been my house. When I got to my new company, I said I'm not gonna go to the office anymore. And uh and that was the benefit then. And then COVID hit. Now everyone works from home. But um, the there's no escape. There was no escape then. But when you're working that many hours driving home at night and this place was an hour away from me, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just going to work from home now. So I feel like I'm always putting in time. Like I always have to be on call. But when I'm in the shop, I don't care. I don't answer any emails. I don't, I don't, I don't take any work calls. It's just my time. I do maker-related stuff. I have done things for clients in the past, but now I just go out there and tinker for myself, and it's my getaway, my zen moment. So, I'm curious about that, actually. Like like working in the home office, you, you've been doing it for a long time now, then. Yeah. How do you get away from work, then? Is it just the shop, or do you, like, the other hobbies that you... Um, no, I, I mean, I do other things. I do photography, and, you know, I hang out with my wife and family stuff. But uh, I, at my old house, I had an office in the basement. And when I came upstairs, I didn't go back in the basement. But my shop was in the basement then. And I just never went over to it because that was like going to work. Now I work in, I'm fortunate enough to have like a spare bedroom. That's my office. And now when I leave that office, I, I just leave and that and that's work. Like that, but that was the office. Like if I worked at Home Depot, that would be like driving home from Home Depot when I walk out of that room. I don't think about it anymore. Huh. So that's maybe that's the difference between because uh, you're not self-employed, are you? Like you're you're salaried by your company. Yeah, at the moment, yeah, yeah. I go all over. Sometimes I'm salary. Sometimes I'm ten ninety nine or contract employee. Uh, but but, yeah. but at the end of the day, somebody else is responsible for the work. Um, show up and like, are you are you responsible for bringing any of it in? Or are you? Yes. Yeah. You? Yeah. Okay. Not all of it, but yeah, I am responsible for bringing it in. So basically, I'm like almost quasi running my own business but not really at all at the same time yeah see that's my that's probably one of my biggest sources of stress is just that i'm responsible for it you know like if i don't do something about it the money's not going to come in i don't get paid employees don't get paid right and and so then there's times i enjoy my shop i like building stuff and i come out to my shop but i also kind of semi run this as a business for tax purposes Mm-hmm. And so then I come out here and then I feel like, oh, I got to get something productive done so I can, you know, justify this being a business. Yeah. So then, then I end up sitting here doom scrolling on social media because I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I find a lot of times I'll just go out in my shop and I say, I'm going to clean it up and I just wind up making a bigger mess. And then it's tomorrow's problem. Yeah. So tomorrow you hates today's you? Yeah. I mean, I, I just always in my head the shop's a perpetual mess so it doesn't bother me when i go out unless i'm going to go out for a specific task and i just put something on top of that tool like something on the table saw when i have to use it tomorrow then i'm like what are you doing but other than that you know 
I try not to get it. I try not to get mad at anything out there. If I screw something up, I screw it up. You know, I don't want to get mad at myself for anything. Like if I left a mess, that, that okay, I'll just clean it. Like I'll, I'll get mad at work. That's fine. But I'm not going to get mad at myself in the shop. That's not my. I go out there from me time. You know. Yeah. So it's the it's it's the relaxation time. If you're if you're cleaning up, you're cleaning up. If you're making something, you're making something. Right. That yeah. Have you seen that one reel or, well, there's a thousand reels with it, but that one reel noise or sound, whatever you want to call it, where there's like all the voices going on in their head and then they bring the thing and they touch the tool and it just goes quiet. Have you heard that? No, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's like a bunch of chatter going on, right? So think of the sound chatter, 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 right? And then the minute they start working or cutting something, the sound just goes silent. And, and everyone who posts it always posts, I'll try and find it and send it to you. They always post like, why do you keep going in the shop or something? And it's because then it, it kind of silences what's going on in my head. And I feel that way, not when I'm actually, like the minute I step into the shop, that's the way it is for me. I go out there, I shut the door, and then it's just like, I don't have to worry. I have no windows out there, nothing. I keep the doors closed. I'm just out there. It's just me. I don't care what I'm doing. I'm out there. I don't have to worry about nothing. It's just my time. Actually, uh, part of my master's degree, we're actually talking about this today or yesterday. I guess we're talking about it. Um, and uh, one of my problems currently is is that I'm a provider of a service, right? Like I'm, I have to do a thing for somebody in order for them to be treated, right? Right. Uh, whereas, whereas mental health, typically you're you're not a provider, you're a facilitator. Okay. So, so you're you're the burden of care isn't on you. The burden of care is actually on the patient because I can't I can't reach out and massage your head and suddenly you you're mentally healthy, right? Right. It's I can I can lead you along the path and I can go, hey, this is this is what you can do. Uh, you know, do your journaling, do your go go out into your shop and do your ten minutes of whatever you want to do in the shop, whatever whatever your particular therapy is. But the burden is on you, and if you don't get better, it's not my fault. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that actually. Oh. I don't know if I could do it. Well, de- dealing with patients is actually, that's actually, um, so I'm a chiropractor, you know that. Some of the yeah. audience probably knows that. My, my wife is going to be the only person that listens to this episode, so she knows that. But uh, um, yeah, I've been dealing with patients for, geez, 12 years, 11 years now, something like that. Anyway, and, and when I first kind of went down that route, my siblings, they were like, you know, you have to talk to people, right? So I've always been kind of antisocial, but, but dealing with patients all the time has kind of, kind of allowed me to be more social than I used to be. But now you have to talk to them about their mental problems. Well, but the thing is, is that people tell you their mental problems anyway, right? And, and yeah. when it comes to, when it comes as a provider, I, I know more about people than I want to know. Yeah, the, the, I think one of the two of the biggest things that I'm looking forward to though is 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 not being the provider, so I'm not responsible for you getting better. And uh, the other thing is, is you know, as a chiropractor, how do I treat somebody remotely? I just, you know, you can. Do you have, yeah. yeah. Do you have neck pain, Keith? Just turn your head sharply to the right, and then back. Whereas as a as a mental health provider, this could be a legit therapy session, right? Which makes a which makes my ability to do other things a lot 
more flexible. Like I can come up to the shop when I don't have time versus having to sit into the office for hours and hours. Same. And that's, that's where I'm, I'm assuming if you, you know, you have a break in your schedule, you probably go do something else rather than just sit in your office and wait for the next phone call. Right. Um, yeah, I, d I don't like during my work day, I don't really have breaks. Um, I try and get my email list down to, uh, about 50 before I decide to call it a day. And when I get back in the office in the morning, I'm back up over a hundred, 150. And then, you know, about 10 to 20 emails an hour, nonstop. So, you know, you can unsubscribe from emails, right? No, these are all like all of those, all of those TJ Maxx or whatever, all those ads. I nope. just unsubscribe. I don't have oh, any of that. These are all actionable items, pretty much, or a response to an actionable item, but they're all like, I don't get emails that really don't pertain to what I have to do. Yeah. That's gross. That's a lot. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if we said what we do, but I work for an engineering firm. So if I get an email that says, all right, you have a go on this, produce a set of construction drawings for us. Well, that's eight hours worth of work just from one email. And I may get three of those in one day or 10 of those in one day. So do you find that stressful? Yeah, it can be. Not always, but I would say 99.9% .9 of the time it gets stressful. Yeah. <laughs> not always. It's that 0.1% of the time where it's not stressful that it makes it all worth it. Yeah, I would say like this week, I, I've been busy. Like I've put in a solid nine, 10 hour days every day, but it's just been, I don't know. I'm going to knock on wood here. I'm going to say it's been easy this week. But in my industry, it's either feast or famine. So uh, you have to take all the work when you can get it because in two months, there may be no work. So you have to earn all the money you can while you can to be able to make it through the downtime. And when I say downtimes, I don't mean the work stops. I just mean the billable work stops. And then they come back with issues and questions and problems, and it's in construction, so I'm answering a phone call. I may not be able to bill any of that work, but it never goes away. It's just, is it me doing the actual, in, like, and I'm not an engineer, but is it me doing the actual engineering work, producing the construction drawings, the zoning drawings, the structural analysis, the designs, right, the structural designs? Is it me doing all that now, or is it me answering the, general contractor's questions or the site acquisition person's questions because they have a problem with the lease or the landlord has this problem. There's a leak over here. Was it your design or this or that? Like it never ends, even in the downtimes. So. so one of the things that I was looking at here recently kind of in preparation for this podcast and this podcast in general was um, the the effort-mediated reward circuit. So, so everybody knows, or most people know that, that dopamine is your is your reward hormone in your brain, right? Right. Basically, and uh, so there's some there's some theories about how uh, it's the it's the effort that you put in that triggers the demo, or the the dopamine release, and so and so that's where for some people at least the the going out into the shop and making some hand plane shavings or whatever is what what brings them the joy, right? And uh, do do you find that like work wise, do you find that rewarding or like the work part of it is rewarding and the the communications with the idiots afterwards is the stressful part um yeah i've, I've often said it, if i could just be a drafter again and not do any client interactions um i would probably continue to do this job but that dopamine hit doesn't matter what it is there is no more dopamine hit at, at my work i would say when i started it 20 years ago to maybe 10 years in, maybe there was some dopamine there, but for the past 10 years, there's been nothing. 
I'm just a, a um, yeah, just numb to it all, just going through my day. So, so now you have to go get your walnut shavings to get your head thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and then there, there's there's other there's other research that talks about how, uh, yeah, how cost can mediate mediate your dopamine release too. And so, if there's too great a cost to a to a certain amount of effort, then the dopamine's not going to come to it. So, so if you're if the work's too much to to get to your end goal, then then the dopamine release is lower, so you're not as motivated to do it. And so, it sounds like like initially you're at that like oh this is or maybe not yeah yeah initially you're you're at i enjoyed this part of it but the cost past that is too much but yeah but i will say i know it's a different type of cost that you're talking about but uh what does bring me the dopamine hit is money so when they raise my pay that dopamine starts to come back a little bit you know what i mean because that can afford me to do what i want in my time so there is that but yeah I think the cost of effort uh, in my job has gone up a lot. And I don't know. There's a lot wrong with my industry, I guess, is where is my problem. Back in the day, we used to make a lot of money. And, and, and now they pay less and less every year and expect more and more every year. So I guess it is that cost to benefit analysis. Well, it's, uh, it's almost like industry standard, right? Like when I first graduated, I... I, where I was, I could charge a certain amount per visit, right? Yeah. And and then I moved, and I was in a different location. I couldn't charge as much. And so fast forward 10 years, I'm back to where I initially started. And it's super, super frustrating. It was like, what? Yeah. why? And, and, and like the cost of my house is doubled. The cost of gas is doubled. The cost of everything, costs have all gone up. So it's good to know that everybody is getting screwed over equally, right? It's like an industry standard. Yeah, I would say from when I started to now, what we used to make per site, we're probably down in the one fifth, one sixth of what we used to. Oh, so like like the the dollar for dollar is less. Yeah. So let's just say uh, originally we made five to six thousand per site. Now we make thousand, and that's just billable. I'm not talking with cost in or out of it. You know. So the only way to keep up and make what we made then is to do everything by volume. So it's no longer take a few sites and, oh, we could take a few more and make some more money. It's we need to take a minimum of this amount of sites to pay the bills. And then if we want to make any money, we have to take even more. And it's so many more sites now than it used to be. And the effort for every site now is, you know, you know because regulations change and uh, new zoning requirements, like, the amount of effort that goes into it has exponentially increased over the years. And it used to be that they used to pay somebody to go file a permit and all that. Well, now everything's electronic, so we're not going to pay that guy. Let's just put it back on the engineer and make him file it when it's his turn. He can do it online. So then that's an extra few hours of effort for every site. Like, it's just nonstop. And and to boot, it's all monotonous and boring. It's the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's just... A different number in, in column A and column B, and then everything else is all the same. Yeah, yeah. I could literally do my job sleeping. And there's times where you wake up after a dream of having done your job, and there was nothing nefarious about it. You're just going through the motions. You wake up, and you realize, I just slept and dreamt about this for eight hours, and now I have to go do it for ten. <laughs> and there's nothing worse than that feeling. That's the worst nightmare in the world. 
waking up having dreamt about your and it wasn't like oh i was in my office and somebody was coming to kill me no it's not that kind of nightmare it's the nightmare that you wake up and you're like oh work's over no it hasn't even started you know the dreams that really tick me off are the ones where you're where you're waiting for something really exciting and then as you just about get it then you wake up oh, do, yeah. do you ever have those like, i do yeah so you're waiting to in line for an ice cream cone or something like that, and you spend your entire dream waiting in line, and then the door opens and you wake up. Yeah, or you get up to the counter and then you wake up. It's yeah. the worst. The um, I haven't had it in a while, but I used to have this dream every not recurring, I guess recurring, but not really, where I felt like I was falling, and then it feels like I hit the bed, like my whole body jerks, and I wake up. Have, have you ever gotten that? I've had falling dreams. I've never felt like I hit anything, though. I do the like the the jerk awake type of thing. Yeah, but it's always a falling one where I jerk myself awake. Like I, it feels like I I land on the bed when I wake up. <laughs> it's so weird. Oh, I'll, I'll do a confession to you that I have this recurrent nightmare, and and I don't know what freaks me out about it. It's the stupidest dream, but I wake up with cold sweat and and just like totally short of breath and freaking out. Right. And uh, did you know the Wizard of Oz? Yeah. So so the dream is me and a friend are playing Frisbee in the front lawn of my house as a kid. Okay. And and the Wicked Witch of the West and her evil henchmen show up in their red and their yellow Ferrari and want our Frisbee. And we say no and run away into the trees and they chase us in their cars. That's weird. <laughs> and then and it continues go. to happen? It, yeah, I just had it like six months ago. It's like happens every and, couple of years. And how does that make you feel, Andrew? You're, you're the one in the couch. I guess I should be. Yeah, you feel I, sad. Yeah. And there's the, I, I, I have a fear of witches as the result. I always loved The Wizard of Oz. It was one of my favorite movies. Yeah. We, uh, we downloaded the, um, uh, the stories on Audible, like the whole, there's, there's, there's like 22 stories, eh? Oh, Wizard really? Oz. Yeah. And, uh, they get a little weird, but. Any of those things do. Yeah. The other one that, uh, Joe Dr. Doolittle. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it was written in like 1890 or whatever, right? Oh, really? Yeah, it's quite an old story. And so my my uh, we downloaded this onto Audible for my son when he's like six years old. One day, he he comes up to me, and uh, he he uses he uses a word that uh, non-racist people don't use, right? Mm. When referring to African American individuals, he okay. says, "Dad, what's a I was like, um, where'd what, you learn that? Where'd you learn that? It was in my book. I was like, what book are you reading? What the heck is going on here? Anyway, and then I started wow. to do, do together. I was like, um, that's probably not a good word to use. F. Yeah. That's crazy that it's in the book. Well, I mean, it's written in 1890, right? Like, yeah. It a... But it wasn't recorded for Audible in 1890. That, that is true, actually. Yeah. And I have no after show. Now that we're recording again, Keith asked me a uh, a question. So this is a bonus portion about what footwear I recommend because I know what I'm talking about with shoes um, because it's my job. Yeah. So um, if you can picture a running shoe, right? Yeah. Um, the heel is always a little thicker than the front. Right. So you're essentially always walking on a high heel. Right. Um, and Just looking at my shoes here. Yes, so evolutionarily, 
you know, whatever your personal belief is, whether we've only been around for 5,000 years or 5 million, whatever it is. Yeah. For a long time, people have walked in bare feet or in very minimal soles, right? And so a lot of current research suggests you should use what's called a zero drop shoe. So instead of a, instead of a wedge shape, you should have a flat sole. And so Ultras, which is the brand we were talking about, uh, they're a zero drop shoe. And the other thing I like about them is they have a very wide toe box. So in the, in the end of the toe, there, it allows your, your toes to spread out. And there's a few, there's a few biomechanical things about allowing your toes to spread that are beneficial to preventing uh, arthritis in your, in your joints. Um, it also allows your foot, your, your, the biomechanics of your gait to move more naturally and it's not constrained by pressure from the side of your shoe. So as far as shoes, like I said, the ones I recommend people wear are ultras, uh, and then work boots. I used to wear, I used to buy Keens all the time. Yeah. Uh, that's what they, I have now. They, I don't know what your experience is. Their quality has gone down a lot in my opinion. In like the past three years? Yeah. Yeah. Before that, they were great. Now it's like, they don't. They're not the same shoe. No, like like I had, I had one, I wore all the time for probably two three years, and then I bought the exact same model, and they fell apart in six months. They were just they went garbage. My my personal recommendation on shoes would be, don't be afraid to spend money on them. Is about it. Find a pair that works for you and is comfortable. Uh, I really like a brand currently called Oboz, O-B-O-Z, or Z for you Americans. That's the ones yeah. I wear currently. I, I like them. Um, they don't have as wide a toe box as I would normally like, but they're I find them pretty comfortable and my wife likes them as well. Uh, they don't make a steel-toed one, though, I don't think. So if you need steel toes, um, I can't think of any I need a, yeah. off the top of my head. You need a heel. Mm-hmm. You like the high heels, or is it no? Well, uh, it has to lock into a rung of a ladder. Ah, uh, safety thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So, anyway, this has been shoe talk. Shoe talk. The sub segment. <laughs> let's uh, let's sign out again. All right. You're a busy man, and your wife probably wants to yell at you about something, or you have a podcast to edit, or something like that. So. <laughs> Should probably wrap this up. Say thank you for uh, thank you for being my first guest. Thanks for having uh, me. It's an honor to be your first guest. Pro- probably nobody will ever hear this, but I'm too. I can't wait to see where this podcast goes. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully it goes up from here. Yeah, I I 100 hope it goes up from here. I hope there's some deep, meaningful conversations and not talking about the Wizard of Oz. No, I think we had a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, everybody, uh, you can check out Keith at Blackthorn Concepts. Do you, do you want me to mention all the other ones that I can think of? No. I think that's I, fine. I think I can only mention I, well, Working Hands Podcast and then the story of Dr. Watson, but that's your dog. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's others, but we don't have to mention any of them. It's uh, fine. Working Hands Podcast and Blackthorn Concepts. And uh, yeah, go check out the Working Hands Podcast because you'll get a huge boost in listenership from my podcast. Well, yeah. And vice versa. 
Symbiotic relationships are what make the world go round. Social media at its finest. Yeah. But anyway, thanks for thanks for uh, coming on. Thanks for listening. And uh, I guess we will sign out. All right.